Hello everyone, welcome back to Midwest Madness, your true crime cult conspiracy encrypted podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Danielle. And I don't know, do we have anything else to say <laughs> today? Uh, happy Easter. Happy Easter. It's literally Easter right now, so you'll get this a couple days late, but... yep. And I think it's also a couple other religious holidays are start. I think like Ramadan is starting or something. I I don't know. I thought something else was starting this week that I saw. So whatever holidays you celebrate, have a great, have a good one. Yeah. <laughs> um. I just want. I'm trying to be inclusive. I know. And I didn't do enough research. I so. know. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> um. Cool. Let's. I'm trying, I'm just, I feel like I had something to say and I don't know what it is, so. Well, you'll remember from my episode and then we might actually have announcements for my episode for the first time ever. Oop, yep, I just hit the wrong button. Um, okay, well, I thought I was going to be doing a shorter story this week since my last one was so long. Yes. And it's not, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, just kidding. Yeah. Um, do, do you want me to just get into it? I mean, you might as well. Okay. Um, I I literally have zero clues except for that it, it's longer than you thought it was going to be. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I don't think I even told you where it was Mm-mm. because you told me you were doing a cryptid. So yep. I was like immediately, I was like, okay, I'm fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, This one's a little bit of an older story. Okay. It was one I had heard of before. But I'd never really, like, looked into it. Okay. Um, it fa- spans a few different states. Oh Those God. are always kind of fun. I might sneeze. I'm so sorry, <laughs> you guys. Um, usually if you say it, though, you don't do it. So, And then, um, so it f- spans a few different states. And it lasts about 30 years or so. Holy cow. Um, now... One of those states is not in a Midwestern state, but... How dare you? Whatever. Just get over <laughs> it. Um, and I've sure, never done that before, ever. I'm sure once I say the name, you'll probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. So, I'm going to be telling the story of the I-65 killer. It's it's vaguely from... I've heard of it, but I don't know... Otherwise known as the Days End Murders. Yeah. I've heard of it, but mm-hmm. I don't really know the story. Okay. So, all right. Well, this will be 99% new information for me. Perfect. Um, so our story starts in Kentucky in 1987 with 41-year-old Vicky Heath. Vicky had spent most of her life living in Hardinsburg, Kentucky, which is located sort of in the southwest part of the state, not too far from Missouri and Tennessee. Uh, Vicky was looking forward to the next chapter in her life. She had two adult children, one son and one daughter, who were kind of like at that point where they're moving out and kind of like getting on, getting with, their on with their own lives. Kinda. Exactly. Okay. Um, and she also had recently just gotten engaged. Um, so she was really starting a new chapter. Um, I tried to find her fiance's name, but I couldn't find it listed anywhere. So okay. that's weird. I don't have it unfortunately um the two of them had decided to move to a home in radcliffe kentucky which is about 35 miles east of hardensburg um and to make some extra money vicky decided to start working nights at the super eight motel 
off of I-65 in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. I have a bad feeling about that decision. (laughs) Wonder Um, why. Yeah. (laughs) Now, Elizabethtown was a historical city in Kentucky that used to be pretty popular tourists. I don't know if it still is today. Um, It was right off uh, the highway, so pretty easy to get to. And it was full of historical architecture, museums, parks, trails, rivers, and lakes. Okay. No, the first... So kind of more like a wildernessy area. I wouldn't say no. No, well, you said parks, rivers, lakes. Yeah. So, like, is, that's not why people went there, was to, like... No. Go hiking and whatever? No. Oh, okay. Um, They went there for the historical architecture and museums. Okay. Um, Now, the first exit you come to in Elizabethtown in 1987 don't know about today again um was north mulberry street and back in 1987 there wasn't much off the exit um there were two hotels a gas station a couple of semi-truck driver like parking lots okay so like rest stops for truckers i won't really call them rest stops i would just call them parking lots well that's that they can park their truck in yeah that's where they sleep a lot of times is in their truck Right, you know. So it's a rest stop. I think a rest stop as like, you know, those like specific rest stops. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like ones yeah. with like bathrooms. Exactly. And okay. Yeah, okay. I'm. this is more of like there was like gas station, like a big truck gas station. Okay. And then there was a bunch of parking spots. Okay. So, so literally just like a gas station with trucker parking spots for them to And two use. hotels. And a few fast food places. Okay. So some, they, some so of them like probably a, stayed at the Almost hotels. like a little hub. Yeah. Okay. Um, it wasn't very residential. And it was, sorry, uh, sort of considered just outside of town. So when you exit, the first thing you will see is the Days Inn, then a semi-truck parking lot, then a marathon gas station, then the Super 8 Motel. Okay. Um, the morning of Saturday, February 21st, 1981 was sort of like any other in Elizabethtown. Vicky was working the overnight shift, and the night had been pretty uneventful up until 11 p.m. the night before, so... Okay. On Friday. Yeah. Uh, when the manager of the hotel had left. Okay. The hotel was about half full, and nothing really seemed out of the ordinary. At 6.38 a.m. Oh, and I also want to point out, like, this was in February, so I'm assuming the tourist season in this town was probably more spring to fall okay because in kentucky it can still get it's like it's kind of chilly it's kind of chilly yeah. so i feel like it probably was the hotel was half full because well and there even, was a bunch going on like even when we went to north carolina in or south carolina that one year in may a lot of stuff wasn't open because it was off season right so i would agree with your assumption there that that's probably still off season or that is off season um at 6.38 a.m., the Elizabethtown Police Department got a call from a guest who was staying at the Super 8. They had come down to the lobby to check out, and it was, uh, quote, a complete mess in total disarray, end quote. Oh, no. The front desk clerk, Vicky, was nowhere to be found, and the guest was worried. It didn't take long for a patrol officer to show up, and they described that the lobby looked like, quote, there had been a brawl between a group of people end quote things from the front desk were all over the floor um furniture in the lobby was overturned and the payphone um had actually been ripped off from the wall 
Yikes. The officer called for backup, thinking that maybe there had been a fight between a group of men and maybe the front desk clerk had been hurt in the action or the okay. fray or whatever. Um, the responding officer went upstairs to the second floor. It was a two-story motel. Okay. Um, to listen and see if he could hear any activity. He walked all the way down the hallway, then went back downstairs to the first floor. Um, he then decided to go out the rear door to the back lot to search around the property. Yeah. Um, and that's where they found Vicky directly behind the dumpster. Oh. She was found lying on her back in, quote, dead muddy grass caused by fresh melted snow, end quote. She had on, had on her sweater and plaid skirt, although they were pretty torn and mangled. She had blood and mud on her. It appeared that she had been shot in the head. So it looks like she put up a fight first. Uh, yeah, I would assume. Yeah. One set of muddy footprints led away from her body into the parking lot where they abruptly stopped. So they assumed the person got in a car and left. Yeah. Which um, makes sense. Right. An autopsy was performed on Vicky later that day. Um, she had been beaten, sodomized, and shot twice in the head with a thirty-eight handgun. Oh, my God. Vicky's clothes were processed and contained usable DNA, although back at that In 87, time, right? Yeah, they didn't really... Couldn't really do anything about it. It's not but they, like today. <laughs> they um, preserved kept, it. They kept it. Just okay. in case. Okay. Um, I always like when stories have that little detail where they're like you know what just to be safe we're gonna keep this and and hopefully it'll be beneficial for us in the future like i just think that's really good yeah hindsight and really good police work yeah like good job um although police were said to have had leads throughout the years vicky's case remained unsolved um couple interesting things about this one yeah first is i'm surprised no one heard anything like the gunshots the gunshots or or the fighting the, the, or i mean chaos i guess would like a fr- a payphone would rip from a wall yeah like you think that'd be pretty loud yeah and maybe people did hear things but nobody thought anything of it i don't know yeah that is strange so i thought that was interesting just because it's not like your motels are known for being soundproof <laughs> right yeah and it wasn't one of those ones where, like, the rooms are on the outside. It was, like, you know, the rooms are in... It's, like, a, a single building. It's not, like, a strip mall. It's, like, a normal hotel building. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Moving on. Let's go ahead and talk about Margaret Mary Gill. Um, although everyone called her Peggy, so that's what I'm also going to call her. Okay. In 1989, Peggy was, so this is two years later, um, a 24-year-old student at the Sawyer Business College, and she worked overnights at the Days Inn in Merrillville, Indiana, to help her pay for school. Merrillville is located 40 miles from Chicago, and it's a pretty big town. It's described as one of the last motorist-friendly exits before you get into the flow of traffic near Chicago. Okay. Um, but this is in Indiana, remember? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not in Illinois. Uh, the Days Inn was located right off of exit 235 on I-65. Maryville is one of the safest communities, and because of this, the Days Inn there didn't really have a whole lot of security measures put in place for overnight workers. That's so frustrating. Why? Like, just, just because it's considered a safe area, like, people tend to be more lax about their personal safety and security of their 
like homes and businesses and stuff and it's just like but what if you know and like i know not everybody thinks that way our mom being case in point but it's just like ah damn if you would have just done one thing you know and i'm not blaming anybody i'm just saying it's like just such a pity i think it like because that other days in they had a lot of security um just this one was they never had any issues or problems so they didn't need them yeah Um, and i get that i do it just is like oh man (laughs) yeah um peggy was the youngest of four children and was described by her family and friends as quote very soft-spoken quiet and shy uh end quote she grew up in Maryville and was single and still living with her parents, Anna and Terry, until she finished school. Uh, in high school, Peggy was a member of the Future Homemakers of America Club, and she regularly competed in local baking contests. That's adorable. Her manager at the Days End said, quote, she preferred the 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift because the nights were quieter and not as hectic, end quote. The evening of Thursday, March 2nd, 1989, Peggy and her dad, Terry, spent most of the night talking and putting the finishing touches on a birthday party planned for the next day for Terry. Um, He was turning 51 the next day. Okay. The night kind of got away from them, and it was almost 11 p.m., which was her start time. Um, So he kind of joked and was like, are you going to go to work? And she was like, oh, yeah, lol. Um, So she gave her dad a hug, wished him a quote early happy birthday old man end quote and went off to work the motel that night had just over 70 rooms booked and it had been a pretty busy day at 1203 oh 1203 what am i saying 1230 a.m peggy last spoke with her man the manager uh betty pierce and reported that it had been a pretty uneventful evening between 130 a.m and 140 a.m Peggy checked in her last guest, and around 2 a.m., a college student entered the lobby and waited at the front desk to get a room. He estimated that he waited about five minutes before he left for a neighboring hotel. At 5 a.m., Peggy was supposed to call her manager, Betty, at home just to do, like, a check-in kind of thing. Um, Betty had woken up after not receiving the call and attempted to get in contact with Peggy, but she wasn't able to get a hold of her. At 5.51 a.m., Betty Pierce called the Maryville, Merrillville sorry, Police Department to report Peggy missing. Merrillville. I'm pretty sure I've been calling it Maryville. Yeah, you have. Yeah, and when I was writing it, it I was kept typing Maryville, but it's Merrillville. Okay. It was kind of like the Fred Frank thing last time. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with my brain, but... Anyway, the Merrillville police dispatched a few officers to the Days Inn, and shortly after 6 a.m., they arrived. Uh, There was a couple of customers outside of the motel getting ready to continue on with their travels, and they stated they went to check out, but no one was at the front desk. At this point, please contact Anna and Terry, Peggy's parents, just to let them know what was going on. Um, they noticed that the car that Peggy drove, which was a green Plymouth Valair, was still in the parking lot. So your heart just has to sink when you realize that. Yeah, I can't imagine. Ugh. They thought maybe there was like an abduction or something. Yeah. Possibly. 
I don't know. I think they're kind of just weighing all the possibilities. So they did ask Anna to stay by the phone in case Peggy or someone called. Okay. Um, and then at this point, Terry left to go to the motel. Um, more officers began to arrive and they decided to hold off containing the scene because they, there didn't seem to be a single sign of st- a struggle at all. Okay. Um, Peggy's keys and purse were found behind the front desk. So this one's just like the complete opposite of the other scene where it's yeah. just like everything looks normal. She's just not there. Right. Okay. Um, the cash drawer had been pried open and $179 was missing. Uh, the police didn't seem too concerned right away since her belongings were there and it was a big motel so they thought maybe she was attending to something elsewhere Mm -hmm. or maybe she had crashed in a room they're like that wouldn't be the first time that an employee that was supposed to be working had like just went into a room to catch a few z's okay and then maybe she just like overslept or something yeah um so let's see Betty arrived at the hotel at 6.30 a.m. and police began searching the whole hotel. Uh, Once they arrived to the second floor, officers entered a vacant wing of the hotel. Um, So, I don't know why it was vacant, vacant, but it was, like, I'm thinking either maybe since it was in the winter and, again, kind of technically the Mm off-season, maybe they just keep this, like, part of the hotel closed for the winter or whatever so they don't have to like heat it heat and it and take care of it and, and clean yeah. it yeah and all that or maybe um my other thought was like maybe there was a wedding coming up and they had rented off like a block of rooms okay that would make and sense and that was like the block of rooms that was rented but those were just my two theories yeah. on that it didn't say for sure so okay um at the very end of the hallway next to the fire exit the furthest point from the front desk girl lobby police found the nude body of peggy gill she had been um raped and shot twice behind the left ear with a 22 pistol she had so a f- even a different gun from the yep so because the last one was a 38 yep. right okay she had a fresh cut on her left shoulder and her days in uniform was folded neatly and stacked next to her fingerprints were lifted from the front office desk area drawer and doors like drawer of the of the money where the money, money was, was yeah. okay but there's something really creepy sorry something really creepy about the fact that her stuff was all folded neatly yeah can i finish my sentence really quick and then we can that was all i had that. to say about it uh, but i wanted to talk about it too oh, okay <laughs> um but they didn't match with anyone with a prior arrest in the state or national database Within a couple hours, police would learn that 52 miles south on I-65, another days and night auditor was abducted from Remington, the Remington, Indiana location. Yikes. This night clerk was G... Oh, shit. I was going to look up how to say her name, and I forgot. Um, It's J-E-A-N-N-E. I would say Jean. Jean. Yeah. It's just, I don't know why it's throwing me so yeah, hard, but it diff- is. That's a, a unique spelling. I would, yeah. I would say Jean or maybe maybe Janine, but yeah, Jean seems more likely to. Uh, I feel bad. Um, Marie Gilbert. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about Peggy the, really quick. Yeah. First, how did this person know that that side of the hotel was vacant? Yeah. Do you think it was just like... Do you think he was like bring me somewhere quiet 
yeah and away from other people or like luck of the because luck of the draw seems very coincidental i mean there's no like you can't shoot someone in a hallway with people in it and think yeah you would ever be able to get away with that well I mean, so i feel like he had to have known somehow whether yeah she led him there or because it, it's yeah it's too much of a coincidence that he went to the one area yep of the hotel that definitely was not with people right now again i want to say something about the clothes yes my one thought about that because i did a lot of thinking on this but <laughs> she was in the homemakers club you think she did it herself i think she did it herself I think he, like, demanded she take her clothes off, and then she just folded them up and, like, next, put them in. That makes it so much worse. Doesn't it? Yeah. That's my only thought. Because I, that was, I, w- I was thinking that, too, because I was, like, at first it was, like, oh, do you think she did it herself? And then I was, like, that's too creepy. But then it's also super creepy if he took the time. To fold them. To fold her clothes, because that, that says he knows I've got the time. Yeah. To fold these clothes. And the other thing, too. I mean, if we, so she checked in her last guest between one thirty and one forty, and that other person came in the lobby at 2 a.m. and she was gone at that point. Yeah. So you like think like that it was like that 20 minute window. Minute window. Minute window yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yikes. And also like very ballsy. Like how do you know someone isn't going to just like come? I don't know. I bet that's part of the thrill though. Probably okay could it be jean no that's a weird name jean i would just go i would go with jean i'm so sorry i could call her just i could just call her miss gilbert you could i'll go with that just out of respect um okay so let's talk about the story of miss gilbert um she was a 34 she was 34 years old and she had spent her entire life living in jasper county indiana Miss Gilbert was recently divorced and had two children, a 12-year-old boy and a 17-year-old girl. She and her two kids were currently living in living in the town of Ren... <laughs> Ren... Sounds really cool. R-E-N-S-S-E-L-A-E-R. Rensselaer? You know, just say it like you know what you're saying. Rensselaer. Yeah, there you go. It's we'll, the only time we'll you have to say it, it. <laughs> which is 12 <laughs> miles north of Remington. Uh, Miss Gilbert was all about her family and stayed in the area because she didn't want to move too far away from her parents, Andy and Patricia Mitchell. Miss Gilbert had made a decent income in the five years prior to 1989 by working as a bookkeeper for Carter Oil Supply. But in 1989, it was hard to get by without a second income. Um, I mean... As it is today. It can yeah. be yeah. pretty difficult. Uh, Miss Gilbert was determined, though, not to depend on someone else, though. Oh, I wrote that twice. Not to depend on <laughs> someone else. And she wanted to make her life better for not only herself, but for her kids, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, she was furthering her education, studying business at St. Joseph's College. And to make some extra money, she began working part-time at, um, at the Remington Days Inn for the night shift. All while keeping her day job at Carter Oil Supply. That takes dedication, man. I know. That's not easy. I know. She was very popular in her community and was known for her bubbly and outgoing personality. 
The Remington Days Inn was located right off of I-65 and is the halfway point between Chicago and Indianapolis. It's literally in the middle of nowhere, like the exit itself is. Okay. But it's like very popular. Super busy exit. Interesting. So there's a... Maybe that's because it's the middle of nowhere. Uh, no, I think it's because it is the halfway point. Yeah. So there's like nothing bef- like for a while before and then there's nothing for a while after. Yeah. So I think that, that's why. I mean, that would make sense. Um, There's a Shell Truck Stop shopping center with a restaurant. There's a KFC, a McDonald's, a pizza place, and a lot, again, of those like trucker parking lots. Okay. Um, Back to... Okay, so we're going to go back to March 2nd, which is the Friday night. The same night that Peggy was chit-chatting with her dad. Okay. Um, like, it's a little confusing because it's a lot like of an overnight thing, yeah, and you, you know got what like I mean? A, a so, like, it starts on March 2nd and yeah, on March 2nd. Yeah, and then so. you have, like, several different narratives going on at the same time. So, that's... Oh, that's confusing? Well, just because, like, everything is happening at the same exact same time. Well, not exactly, but, but close. You know what I mean. Yeah. We're going back in time, back to a day that we already talked about with somebody else who yeah. had a story that was already told. Yeah. Miss Gilbert was not actually scheduled to work that night. She had switched shifts with a coworker, so she could attend the final section game that her daughter was a cheerleader in. Um, Miss Gilbert arrived at work at 11 p.m. and was scheduled to work until 8 a.m. The second shift clerk left at midnight. Um, the night again was uneventful and Miss Gilbert had been getting some homework done in a side room of a registration office. Now this is the only hotel that the rooms are on the outside okay. and then you have to like go into an office to like check in, you know what I mean? And then you go back outside. And then you go back outside to, to your okay. room. Yes. Um, and then there was like a little office on the side then and that's where she was okay. doing her homework. Um, here's where things get a little confusing. So, Jasper County, where Remington is located, is in the central time zone. Okay. But Remington residents go by the eastern time zone because some of, like, the school that their, like, kids and stuff attend is technically in the eastern time zone. Okay. So, the times I'm going to talk about next are eastern time zone times. Okay. Everything else before was central time. Okay. Sometimes. So, I hope that kind of makes sense yeah um at 5 30 a.m g miss gilbert sorry made a curt oh i just clicked out of my story damn it (laughs) pause please hold for i wish we had hold music (laughs) okay almost there okay Okay. so 5 30 a.m Ms. Gilbert made a courtesy wake-up call to a guest. According to the guest, there was nothing unusual about the call. Like, she didn't sound stressed, stressed or, or anything. anything. Okay. Uh, now, the information I'm going to say next is a theory that the Indiana State Police believe that happened. Okay. So, this isn't, like, 100% fact, but this is a theory that they've come up with and they've stuck to since okay. 1989. So... Between 5.30 a.m. and 6 a.m., a man walks into the lobby. Miss Gilbert either gets up to greet him or he blitz attacks her while she's doing her homework. He pries the cash register open, steals some money, and then locks the lobby or, like, registration door. He takes her out of an exterior door on the side of the office and brings her to his vehicle. Okay. 
The two then drive heading south on I-65 and take exit 188 to Brookston. This is the first exit without hotel, food, or gas. Okay. At around... So it's the most secluded. Yes. First most secluded. Okay. Around around 6.30 a.m., a farmer states he hears a quick succession of gunshots nearby. Um, he said he heard two gunshots. Around okay. 7 a.m. I remember this is all Eastern time. Yes. So 6 a.m. Central. Central. Okay. Jasper County Sheriff's officers receive multiple calls from motel guests that they are trying to check out, but the lobby is locked and the clerk is gone. At 7.05 a.m., a white county school bus driver calls the Indiana State Police to report a nude body on County Road 150 West, just south of County Road 900 South. The state police contact the white county sheriff's department and they both dispatch units to check things out. At 7.30 a.m., a farmer also calls the White County Sheriff's Department, stating he found a nude woman's body. He was either told that a sheriff's deputy was already on the way, or that one was in the area looking for the body now. At 7.45 a.m., Sharon Krug, who was the manager at the Days Inn back in Remington, arrived at the motel. They enter the lobby and find that $246 is missing from the register. They enter that side office that Miss Gilbert was working in. They found her purse, school books, papers, and keys to the office inside. At 7.50 a.m., the nude body of Miss Gilbert is found in a ditch. The body had not been concealed. Her feet both had shoes and socks on. She was shot three times with a twenty-two handgun. She had been sexually assaulted and DNA was able to be recovered. Her days in uniform has never been found. It is believed that Miss Gowert was alive when she left the motel and was killed at the secondary location. Within the first couple of weeks um, into the investigation, the Indiana State Crime Lab was able to determine that the 22 bullets... Mm -hmm. Um, recovered from both Peggy and Miss Gilbert came from the same handgun. Okay. But it would take until 2010 for the police to test the DNA in Peggy and Miss Gilbert's case and link that to the DNA from Vicky's case. Okay. So they know that these two most recent ones are the same person. Yep. They just haven't connected it with the one from the 87 yet. Correct. Okay. So right out, pretty quickly they connect... The two days in murders. And then it took, takes until 2010 for them to test the DNA in Vicky's case. And then that DNA came back as a match to the DNA from Peggy and Miss Gilbert's case. Okay. So now we have all three of them linked. Yes. So. Now everything that happens now is that after 2010? Or no. is there more? Okay. Nope. Okay. Two more stories I want to talk about quick. Oof. <laughs> On January 2nd, 1990, right off the I-65 in Columbus, Indiana, a 21-year-old female was working the night shift at the Days Inn. At around 5 a.m., the clerk looked up as a rough, stereotypical blue-collar trucker walked through the front doors of the lobby. He had on blue jeans with a blue and black plaid button-up flannel. On his head was a dark stocking cap. And he had straight, medium-length, gray-round hair sticking out from under it. 
He looked like he hadn't bathed in days. He had a brown and gray beard and mustache, and his hair was described as long and stringy. He scanned the lobby, then walked to the front desk. He was about six foot and looked to be in his late 30s to mid 40s. Okay. He had bright green, almost yellow eyes, and his right eye was lazy and could not focus to the center. He asked for change for the cigarette machine, which the young clerk gave to him. The clerk asked if he was a trucker, and he replied yes. They talked for a few minutes, um, you know, kind of making small talk. And then he asked her if there was any good places to eat in the area. She gave him a few recommendations. He thanked her, and he said he would be back. Then he walked out the front lobby doors. Okay. About 15 or 20 minutes later, he walked back in with a hot cup of coffee in his hands and approached the desk, asking for change for a soda. She looked down, opened the register, and started grabbing the change just as he approached the desk. The next thing she knew, searing hot coffee was thrown on her face and in her eyes. The man had jumped on the counter and clenched her shirt. He demanded the money from the cash register and told her if she kept her mouth shut, she wouldn't get hurt. He was holding a six-inch brown-handled knife. She grabbed the cash and handed it to him, but it wasn't enough. So he demanded the money from her purse and the gold rings that she was wearing on her fingers. He then ordered her into the office area behind the desk. Once inside, he ordered her through another door, down a hallway into a small area that leads to the parking lot and a stairwell. And this is where he sexually assaulted her. At this point, she thought the worst was over. But it's at this then, sorry, and then his voice and tone changed and he got increasingly hostile. Oh, God, that's got to just be the worst. He told her to, quote, get the fuck outside now and, quote, she for sure thought he was going to kill her. So she somewhat resisted him. He then forced her outside and into the parking lot. They walked all the way through the parking lot to the back where there was an embankment into a ditch that was covered in ice. Just as she started to cross, she fell through the ice into, like, the water. There was, like, water below. Okay. And it came up to her about her knees, but she continued to walk. So she walked through the embankment, and on the other side, there was a hill. So she walked up the hill, and she thought the guy was still behind her. So she was just continued to walk. Um, She walked for... A quarter of a mile and nothing happened and that's when she saw a trailer home which she ran towards and banged on the doors and windows hysterically until a woman answered and gave her shelter at 5 55 a.m the columbus police department was called the survivor was taken to the county hospital for treatment and a sexual assault kit was performed the next day january 3rd 1990 the columbus police department would release a composite sketch based on the victim's description later in 1990 the fbi linked the dna found in peggy and miss gilbert's case to the unidentified female in columbus so her case her case was pretty quickly linked okay so she's technically number three four four. well Well, number three that's been connected connected. by police so far yep okay lastly In 1991, in Rochester, Minnesota, a night clerk was robbed, sexually assaulted, and stabbed. She would also survive, and she gave a very similar description of her attacker as the identified survivor in Columbus did. Um, Fortunately, not much more of this story is known, though. 
Um, but the next update comes in March of 2013 when it's announced that the DNA at this crime scene matches the DNA in the murders of Vicky, Peggy, Miss Glover, and the DNA connected in Columbus. Because at that point, they I had connected. I wonder why it took them so long to connect hers. I just feel like they didn't, because it, it wasn't off I-65. That's, it yeah, wasn't. That's true. Um, You know, even and in the, the same MO vicinity. Was, and the MO was MO different. was slightly different. It was still the same as the one in Columbus, because he used a knife did there, and s- she was stabbed. Did she? She was also stabbed. Yeah, she was the, stabbed. Okay, I the that one in Columbus wasn't. She, yeah, no, no, that's what I meant. Okay, but the one in Rochester was. I wonder why he stopped using the gun. That's what I was wondering too. Cause that, I mean, like why change? Cause the the first one was a thirty eight, which is a different type of gun than the next two, but it's still a gun. Also, and he was leaving his victims dead. We didn't really talk about Miss Gilbert's case right after, but why abduct her and move her? Yeah. That's weird. Like, the same night you did the same thing and you didn't um, move that person. And, like, we know that... Because you could argue, like, well, maybe it's not even the same person or maybe it's, like, a team, but it's the same DNA. Some people do think there's two people But it's the same DNA. But it's the same DNA and you have two witnesses saying there's only one person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because, like, without the DNA, you could make that argument, like... Right. That it was more than one yeah. person, but... Very weird to change... I feel like Vicky's case was maybe... This is just me theorizing, but one of his first because of how frantic and, like, messy the scene was yeah. compared to the other two. Yeah. Three, four, I should say, at this yeah. point. That um, makes sense. But I don't know. Okay, let's keep going. Oh, boy. The case <laughs> never really stopped being worked on. That's good. And in 2019, the FBI's gang response investigative team was asked to bring fresh eyes to the case. <coughs> Sorry. Wait, gang? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, interesting. Now, obviously, things have progressed a lot since the 1980s and 1990s, and thankfully, investigators had preserved DNA evidence from the cases. Um, On April 6th, 2022, the I-65 killer was formally identified. Holy shit. He was caught using a little thing I like to call investigative genealogy. So is that the same thing that caught the Golden, Golden State, State Killer? Killer and yes, there's other ones others now. Too. now yeah. The I-65 Killer was identified as Henry Edward Greenwell. Henry was known to frequently travel throughout the Midwest and had an extensive criminal history. Was he a trucker? No. Interesting. He was in and out of prison and even escaped jail twice, at least not as far as I could tell. They never okay. said he was. Okay. He was arrested in Kentucky in 1969 for armed robbery and sodomy charges in 1963 and 19... Sorry. Those armed robbery was in 1963. The sodomy okay. charge was in 1969. Okay. And he was arrested in 1969. Um, but he was also paroled by the Kentucky State Penitentiary in 1969 too. So he didn't really serve a lot of serve time. Serve any there. time, or if any, yeah. In 1982, he was arrested for burglary. Burglary. This word is so <laughs> hard for me. Burglary. There you go. There we go. <laughs> Third time's the charm. It's like soldier and shoulder. I have a hard time with those two. Um, Mine is compartmentalize. So he was arrested for burglary in okay. iowa good job thank you he was <laughs> sentenced to prison but was released one year later in 1983 
Now, unfortunately, Henry Greenwell died back in 2013 at the age of 68. Doesn't that just make you so mad? Yes. They think of cancer, so he will never face time for the crimes he committed. Um, Investigators aren't done with the case, though. They believe there is a possibility that Henry Greenwell committed more crimes, and they are going to continue to look into him as a possible suspect in other robberies, murders, and sexual assaults. Which I... If I had to guess, I wouldn't say he killed three people, attempted to kill two more in a span of, what, four years? And then just stopped? Yeah, that seems pretty unlikely. Yeah, I, unfortunately. I Yeah, I feel like we're probably going to find out that there's probably some more, more yep. to his story. Um, Now, I want to end the episode with words from miss gilbert's daughter kim because i don't want to end talking about the douchebag henry preach my only hope is that he died from like a really terrible cancer yeah and it was really painful and yeah. really long and drawn on horrible and he was alone yes okay so um quote i told everyone i remember her last words i love you i'll see you tomorrow i didn't see her that tomorrow but i see her every day I see her in me, I see her in my brother, and I see her in my family. Oh, that's so sweet and sad. Um, So yeah, that's the story of the I-65 killer and the days and murders. Yikes. I thought thought you had maybe seen, because it was like huge news like three weeks ago that they had identified him. No, I I had heard... It was all over. I had heard about the woman in California who like... Had gone missing. Oh, yeah, that's Yeah, true. and then it, she really wasn't missing. Yeah. So I, I was more in on that story than I was this one. Yeah. So, so lucky for you. Um, I kind of... I just wish they were able to talk to that douchebag and know why and... Like, why change your MO? What? Yeah. And if there was more, hopefully they'll be able to give other people closure, but... Yeah, pretty shitty guy, if you ask me. Yeah, no kidding. Yep. Oh, I guess I should read my sources, huh? Yes, please. There's a lot, so That's on. okay. Okay, so I got a lot of my information from the American Crime Journal. Okay. So I listed all of the articles separately in here. I'm not going to read them all off, but okay. there's like a bunch. So kind of like how Murderpedia has yes. a list of different and sources. And links and stuff. Yeah, yeah. okay. Cool, cool. Love that. Um, and then NBCNews.com, CNN.com, and NewYorkTimes.com. Okay. I think that's all. Um, our socials are MW Madness Podcast. Um, no. At Gmail. MW Madness Podcast um, is our Instagram. And then our Facebook group is Midwest Madness. Facebook group. Or podcast. Sorry. Facebook group. Yeah. Um, I feel like this episode was like very straight to the point and just like very. There's a lot of direct info. Me like yeah, just like reading, but there was a lot of stuff and I didn't want anyone to get confused. So well, hopefully it made sense. And also like, it was a good story. Yeah, shitty, I mean but shitty story, but it was. It had a good ending. They, yeah, they caught the bad. They caught the bad person. guy. That's awesome. Yeah, that's always satisfying. It's too bad it wasn't a few years earlier. Right. But beggars can't be choosers, I guess. Exactly. All right. Well, that is that. So I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. And we will talk to you next Tuesday. Yep. Bye.